talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Welcome back, one and all, to another episode of The Dropped Kickoff. My name is Nick Wasiliev, and we come to you on a Wednesday night after a record loss uh, at Eden Park to the um, for the Wallabies. They went down 57-28, I believe the score was, or 22, sorry, rather. And uh, it's uh, as you can tell, it's uh, it's been something we've been wanting to forget about for a bit. But we are here, we are going to talk about it, and, and where next for the Wallabies. Uh, and once again, I am joined uh, by Nick Hartman. Nick, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, we've also got Jack on the line. Jack, how are you doing, mate? Uh, yeah, been better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's uh, you know, once again, yeah, sucked into the uh, sucked into the the optimism and everything else in between. But it's 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 amazing how a rugby game can just bring you down so much. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, well, at the moment, rugby is the it's the only way I've been able to do rugby is keep. It's the only way I've been able to keep track of time in in yet another week of COVID lockdowns. But. It's, uh, you know, what can you do, especially when rugby, the game doesn't go your way. Um, but lastly, Nathan. Nathan, how you doing, mate? Yeah, slowly over it. it was a tough, tough Saturday, but you know what? It's slowly getting over it and slowly getting our attention towards game three. Yeah, indeed. Um, so for our questions tonight, we'll uh, first of all dive in and touch on uh, this game that is now hopefully fading into the memories of all of us very quickly. One, name one thing or moment that sums, that sums up uh, that rapid that uh, record loss uh, for, of the Wallabies at Eden Park. Question two: Is there any good that the Wallabies can take into the third Bledisloe Test in Perth and the Rugby Championship, assuming it goes ahead? Of course, considering the current state of things. Question three: There has been a lot of talk around the the, the Jitto Law over the last couple of days. Um, where uh, will removing the Jitto Law solve all of our issues? Well, it will be the question that we examine there. Question four, there's been a lot of news out of Sydney clubland, most especially being, first of all, that the season was cancelled for the first time since 1918, but also Penrith has been given the boot yet again. Does Penrith being kicked out have anything to do with the Wallabies sucking is our fourth question. And then lastly, question five, we'll be touching uh, on other topics and other news uh, in the rugby world, such as uh, the latest stuff happening with the Sevens. But... Question one, diving into this record loss that we sustained at uh, at Eden Park, the All Blacks. It was a close game uh, at halftime, 21-15. The Wallabies were in it. Um, but then after that uh, yellow card that the All Blacks received early on in the second half, they clicked up a gear um, and they demolished us, in the, especially in that 15-20-minute 15, period after half to, after halftime. Where, uh, with a man down, they ran in. Uh, they scored that extra ten points and really put the game beyond all doubt. Um, Jack, I went for a walk with you on Sunday morning, and you were still livid about this because you were you were hopeful, you were optimistic that this was going to be the uh, going to be the time that we finally would break that duck at Eden Park. Um, how are you feeling? What what do you think about? What do you think there is that one moment that sums up how this feeling with that game? It's um. Yeah, it's all all too predictable, really. It's uh, it's it's frustratingly predictable the way that uh, game played out. Um, same mistakes over and over again. 
Um, I thought for me, the, my, my pivotal moment was just the fact that we, we went inside there 22, you know, how many times. And in that, in that second half, I just never felt confident that they were able to, you know, get the job done. Um, they had a lot of chances. Um, All Blacks played their typical game of um, slowing the ball down, giving away as many penalties as they want because they had faith in their, you know, defence that, um, you know, we couldn't get the job done close. So when I started feeling that, I, yeah, started getting nervous and, and, and it played out like that. So, um, yeah, disappointing result. I, I really thought we could, uh, we could do it. Um, back-to-back tests at Eden Park. And when I saw the crowd, I thought, oh, we're a chance here because, you know, it was only half filled. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the All Blacks, too good. They just they can just flick the switch and turn it on. And that counterattack is deadly once we, you know, get on the outside of us. Yeah, it was just so um, frustrating, I think. The, 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 the thoughts that I was having, that, that I was having here was just, here we are again. And I just thought to myself that... You know, I, I kind of, I was very hesitant about saying, oh, yeah, the Wallabies will win last pod because I just knew that, you know, All Blacks always turn up for game two. Every, the last, you know, the last couple of years that we've been to Eden Park, we've been on the end, receiving end of a 30-point drubbing, especially if it's been off the back of a second, you know, you're going into test two and you're going to Eden Park. Um, and I was really, I, I was going to be happy even if we were, cl- even if we got close, because just considering the amount of history that has been, that that, that has been, fl- that we've been flying in the face of over the last couple of years, it's just been so, such a unhappy hunting ground uh, or such a fruitless ground to, for, in terms of success. Um, but I was just, what annoyed me personally was just how familiar it was there was no adaptation in that second half they kept kicking the ball away and giving it and, and having it in open and having it in open play and the complacency when New Zealand lost a player to the bin as well that really got me worried uh, when because I you, you know you could tell that the all blacks on that 22 position they know they have been they've been practicing uh, playing with 14 men you can tell. They are, they are happy to give away those penalties. They are happy to have a man sent to the bin. Um, and they took advantage of that complacency when we had that one-man advantage, similar to what we did to France when we lost, lost Corabidi. It's just frustrating, just really frustrating. It played right into their hands, which I thought was so annoying. Nick, what do you reckon, mate? Do you think it's a, a case of the same old, same old again, or was it just that the All Blacks were just too good? Um, well... I don't think it was the same old, same old. And in many ways, it was the same old. But I think, you know, they, the Wallabies, between maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes and 40 minutes, 45 minutes, played better in that period than they did last game. But it all just went to shit. <laughs> um, and they just lost their heads. And it, and that that was the same old, same old sort of shit. Like the, you know, if I choose pivotal moment, it was the intercept yeah. uh, pass. Uh, just after we were, you know, playing it tight, going up the guts, uh, Tate did a little shimmy or something through an inside ball. Like he did a dummy and a shimmy and then threw an inside ball. And I think that was, uh, went to Valentini, who made about 10, 15 metres. You know, we're playing real good stuff. And then... It's just like, I don't know. It's just like we've got this uh, uh, itch. We've got a scratch. And uh, let's go through a a Hollywood ball. 
which failed again, you know, second time in the match. So that that is the part that annoys me the most. Like we just, I, I get it sort of just dropping your head and all that stuff. I, I kind of get that, but it's just a dumb fucking, you know, stupid play. The um, I think yeah. Sally writing the match report for Green and Gold was absolutely right. It's a space between the ears which we need to work on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's just, in terms of the physical battle, I mean, they did, def- the Wallabies did bring that physicality for a lot of the game. Um, it just looked like they were shell shocked in that 15 minute period after half time. That was really, uh, was really like a big factor there, I, I reckon. It's just, and just again, you talk about those, those damn hospital passes or those damn flying, big, massive cutout passes and. That's that's bread and butter for the All Blacks. You're playing right into their hands there, um, Nathan. What do you, I'm going to bring you in here? What do you what do you think? Do you think that it was a case of just rugby smarts that was the only thing separating us, or do you think it's uh, that we there was an issue with the strategy that Rennie brought? Um, what's what do you think here? I, I genuinely think we panicked, and that's the, that's yeah. the sad sad thing to say. I think when when it's that. F- the moment for me is when they go to 14 men down and we're, we're five minutes, I think we're five minutes out and it might have been a line out that we, I think it was not straight or it was a knock on. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it got, I think it got to that stage and we kind of, I think that they had the same thought we had. It was like a, we, we can win this. But instead of instead of that translating to let's, let's play the best 35 minutes of our life, it almost turned into let's not blow this. And then all as soon as that, that one setback came, just the tires deflated and it just we fell away and it was kind of just that 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 first when we didn't score in that sort of 10 minute period it was kind of like uh well if we can't score if we're gonna get outscored 10 nil with them 14 nil 14 men down what's gonna happen when they get their full allotment and they, we just lost momentum from there because i think i mean as 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 you said um nick we played very well in that first 40 minutes like that it wasn't like I, I know everyone's essentially the whole thing has been let's just blow it up and we'll touch on the ghetto law later, but I mean the players out there were good enough to put us in a pretty dominant position after, like after that sort of first forty five minutes. It's just, it's I think it's almost that inexperience of not knowing what to do when you when you're beating the All Blacks, in that in that <laughs> environment. It's been so long. We just it's like we forgot how to win. I know that that's been a, a very common theme in Australian rugby, and that's what sort of Super Rugby AU I thought was really good at doing for a couple of teams, but it just doesn't seem to sort of translate. I thought it would translate from France over to this, and it just didn't. I think that's where we kind of lost lost our shape, lost our way, and ultimately lost the game. Mm. Yeah, it, it it's just really fascinating how I think the fact that they thought they could win, like we, we were coasting on that kind of idea last week that the Wallabies were just in that state of just blissful ignorance, um, that they weren't thinking about the history and just letting themselves play with confidence. Um, but yeah, that then suddenly uh, the moment they thought, oh, actually we can win this and all of that context suddenly gets brought back into it. Before we move on to the last question, I'm just going to throw this out to all of you boys here. Um, do you think off the back of that off of that performance that anyone can actually beat the All Blacks at Eden Park? It's pretty yeah, hard. history will tell you that no one can. It's a, I mean, give it, give credit to the All Blacks. They they front up every year and defend that 
you know, that um, stadium and, and, and the Bledisloe. Like, they are an awesome team. You know, South Africa are number one in the world at the moment, but um, that, that test against the, uh, the, the Springboks between the All Blacks is going to be a ripper because they're, they're neck and neck, I think. Um, just, just the way, like, case in point was um, that, that scrum where Aaron Smith just split Tate McDermott up the middle, passed it. it. That was just so efficient, and they and they just do that about five times a game, and and that's all they need to do. Those those crucial moments, they're just keyed in, and their skills are just on another level. Yeah, look, it's. I mean, they are good. I mean, they are good. Don't get me wrong. Like they are the best team in the in the world. You know, in the eyes of well, yeah, at least us. Um, but what do you, I I don't know. Like, part of me thought if it wasn't for that 15 minutes, if we didn't lose our head, we were right in that game. And we were right in there in that game at a ground that I know, they, I mean, they haven't lost there since, like, 94, I think it was, Into, like, which was France was the last to- last team that beat them there. Um, Nathan, do you think that is this, the Wallabies team can, or not the Wallabies team, but any team could beat New Zealand there? Or do you, or do you think it's just a case of, Stage fright, simple stage fright um, that, that you have when you go to Eden Park. I think it's going to take a special team under special circumstances. I I know that there's all the rats behind the South African team, but even if they were playing at Eden Park, I don't think they would beat the All Blacks. They, 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 are. Ma- they are. 2nd of October. Oh, yeah. Last round of rugby championship. Are they wow. I mean... So they're, playing, they're playing them in Dunedin, and then South Africa's home game is going to be at Eden Park. <laughs> South African home game at Eden Park. That's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we look, we don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of months, but I mean, that'll be a great game. But even still, this this yeah. New Zealand team's better than the South African team, in my opinion. So I, I, I mean, didn't say no. New Zealand uh, rugby definitely owes us now that we've played back to back tests at Eden Park and <laughs> yeah. in both games. I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, scratch my back, you scratch mine coming. Otherwise, <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing it for? Jesus. Two games at sunk. I think we sort you of... don't like need to give them all back to any other advantage. Jeez. South Africa are. Hmm? Like, they played... Their team against Argentina was pretty much B-side all the way through it. And they still smashed the IGs. Um So I think we really underestimate how good they are. And they've got Razzie in, who's a smart cookie, even if he is a bit deranged with the whole referee <laughs> thing. But he, I think, you know, South Africa will beat them. And they're not dumb. And, you know, South Africa's smart enough to know not to do Hollywood balls out to the wings and just play it up the guts. Yeah, it it, it is yeah, interesting. I, I, don't want, I don't want to, I don't know who I want to see lose more. <laughs> or last of Springbok. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. It is going to be an interesting one to to keep an eye on um, going into uh, into the rugby championship. But that leads us on to to question two, um, which is for the Wallabies. Uh, while the Bledisloe is gone for another year, um, there is the rugby championship and as well as a, another um, test match in Perth to look forward to. As of time of recording right now, I know there's been a lot of speculation about, especially with the latest. Uh, lockdowns happening here in Australia um, about exactly what's going to be happening, as well as in New Zealand. Um, is there any good to take uh, into this Perth test and the Rugby Championship from these two Bledisloe matches? Uh, Nathan, what's your thoughts? 
Uh, I mean, there's been a couple of good things that come out of it. I mean, I think Andrew Kelly is probably the main thing that's come out in my books. I think he's really sort of established himself as, well, I mean, I reckon he jumped at least half a dozen wingers, into, in, 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 at least on my depth chart, but I reckon in the world of his setup as well. And someone like Tate McDermott's flourished as well, even though he got exposed a little bit in that second half. But, I mean, there's there's still positives to take out of those those sort of first half performances in those first two games. Yes, you still have that knowledge that you can play the All Blacks in play, in my opinion, the best team in the world at the hardest ground. It's it's just about like, are we gonna t- are we gonna put this into practice? Because I feel like we get these glimpses and get these promises, it builds everyone's hope, and then all of a sudden it just never shows for eighty minutes. We can never close out a game in this ser- in these series. And you look at I look at Argentina last year where. We looked good, and then we, just, we, we but we came away with two draws. I think there are promising signs, but it's we're long past the time where we, we have to see it for 80 minutes on the field. I think the players and coaches, would, considering how much emphasis they've put on it over the past two weeks, would back that would back that statement as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it comes down to to. I really just like there's no denying that this is a really talented squad. This is a talented squad that can actually play a game of footy. Um, so the question is, where like when is it? Are they going to actually start believing in themselves? I think is the question that that pretty much is on the mind of of most Wallaby fans right now. I mean, it's clear that there is a positive culture shift happening under Rennie, but. When are they actually going to start believing that they can beat anyone? Because they actually can. When they when they string a performance together, they actually can beat anyone. Um, Jack, do you think that that you know there is a chance? Be, I mean, we've got you've got to face the the likes of South Africa in this coming uh, series, but also Argentina. And last year, I, th- I don't know necessarily where Argentina are kind of sitting right now. They they look like they're not quite um, as on form as when they were as when they played in Australia this time last year. Um, what do you reckon would be a good goal in terms of grabbing some wins uh, for Rennie? Uh, is it you know potentially try and aim for two wins against the Argies and at least grab one against the box? I think that's probably best case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario is yeah losing the rugby championship. We can't have that. It's like that would be yeah that would be devastating. To, to finish, we got to finish at least above the Argies, I'd say. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the squad develops now that, um, you know, out of the shadows of um, the All Blacks. Um, I think uh, I think Dave Rennie's hinted at it as well that, um, you know, the the style the style that we're trying to play maybe not is not up to, you know, the the players' ability. So it'll be interesting to see whether there's a, a change in tactics, a ga- change of game plan, especially when versing the different teams. You know, South Africa, you know, brawned their way to a Lions win, um, played smart, conservative. Um, Jaguar, uh, Argentina, the Pumas, um, they've got flashes of brilliance in them, um, really strong in the forwards. So it'll be interesting to see whether we adapt or not or, or, or keep going with the same thing we've been doing. Um, so Nick, there is one potential question I want to ask here, which is, you know, we're talking about the idea of, of some sort of success and stuff. And I think, you know, unless you, you disagree, um, there has definitely been a positive shift under Rennie. Um, but say what, what happens if we don't get any wins 
in this in this upcoming championship. Say or say we underperform significantly. Um, is it a question of then whether the team is actually moving forward fast enough under Rennie, or is it a simple case that he's just having to deal with the cattle he's got in front of him? Um, if we lost, if we lost all our games, I think you'd have to say, you know, thanks, Dave Rennie, see you later. Um, if we significantly underperform, I mean, that's pretty nebulous, but I mean, for me, significantly underperforming is losing all our games. Um, I still think, you know, you talk about a pass mark. I think a pass mark is beating Argentina twice for me. Um, I think what last time the rugby championship, what we did, we draw with New Zealand or beat New Zealand once and draw with Argentina twice. Is that what happened? Um, yeah, we 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 drew twice with Argentina. We in terms of the Tri Nations side of things, we yeah, won yeah. one, we lost one against yeah, uh, yeah. against the All Blacks. Yeah. Okay. So that's you know pass for me. You know, and pass for me is one above failing. Um. So that's for me what we should get out of this rugby championship. Um, I was actually thinking about this before, you know, does he have a sort of plan about building up the team and he's, you know, gone, look, they've got shit game management. I expect this to be at this level, you know, by their, my 10th test with them. I don't know if, I don't know if he's got a plan, but you know, all these test matches matter. I think the ones that matter the least are the ones against Argentina, Um, you know, in terms of, you know, you can experiment with them. Uh, but uh, he does have to start, you know, showing up against New Zealand. I think I think that's a, um, I think that should be one of his objectives and no sort of all building up to anything or dealing with the cattle in front of him. Because I don't think the cattle is that bad. Yeah, it's, look, it's, I think it's fair to say that in the context of, of rugby coaches, he's had a pretty unique um situation i mean in in terms of the 11 tests that he's had as coach so far six of them have been have been against the all blacks so it's you know it's disproportionately you're playing disproportionately one of the hardest teams in the world um so of course it's gonna it's gonna reflect you know negatively in terms of a win to loss ratio but i mean he has still had success i mean with the with that France series, um, which is the first time I think we've won a series in Australia <clears throat> in in a little while. I mean, at least since probably which we shouldn't have. Yeah, <laughs> but he, but look, we still managed to win, um, which is important. And I'd be I'd be very curious to see how he goes against the likes of of any European teams. Um, at the, if we ended up doing a tour at the end of the year, um, which God knows if that'll happen at this rate. But I mean, you never know. Um. But, but yeah, it's... go back to the cattle thing, right? Because we're going to move on talking about the ghetto law. Mm. And Nathan and Jack, I, I want to get your opinion on this. But on paper, I think we have a better front row than New Zealand. Um, we don't have better locks and we potentially have a better back row than New Zealand. Mm. I don't think our cattle's that bad. Our back three are great, well, except for Tom Banks. But if you can figure that out, I think our back three are great as well. Uh, centers young, but got a lot of potential. Our halves, that's probably our weakest point at the moment, except for Tate. But like Natho, you know, Nick, Jack, do you think we have a a cattle as bad? I think, I think that. that oh. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I I think if you look at it, we're probably about you know you look at that all black squad. I think where each player in that position is probably 
besides maybe Hooper, maybe Corabidi, I'd say we're 10% away from, you know, the All Blacks in all their positions, which which does make up a huge consideration um, overall in the in the team. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I've said it for a few years. I think our, the cattle's not the problem. You look at our last, you know, four coaches, they're super rugby winners, they're European championship winners. Um, and for some reason, when they come to the Wallabies, they underperform. Uh, you know, what else would there be? You know, there's there's the structures and the game plan and and all these things around it. But when it comes down to it, if the team can't execute what they need to do, then, then that's got to be with them. I'd say, you know, if, if we got you know, sacked Rennie and brought someone in. I don't know who that would be. Um, but Alan if, Jones. <laughs> yeah, if that happened, do you think in the letter so next year? No chance. Yeah, I don't think it would fix anything. No. I say, I say, I say I agree with that. I don't think that our talent's that, our talent's that bad. I just think everyone else is, as compared to the last 10 years, has caught up. Mm. Like, I think we were able to say in the past, well, you know, we might we might not be as good as the All Blacks, but you know, we we got loads. Look at Northern Hemisphere, and we got our cattle's loads better than them. Yeah. And now you look at it and go, well, France are now developing thirty or forty players that can be world class. England have taken and keep taking the next step. Wales and Ireland have always like regenerating players, and are slowly they go through sort of peaks and troughs. So I think that's kind of just sort of emphasizes that point of. Well, maybe it's we're not as cattle might not be as special as, as sort of what it was, but I mean, I, th- I think Nick makes a good point. Like under Rennie, half his games are against the All Blacks. I mean, of course your cattle's not going to look that good. Yeah, that always skews the results a bit. Mm. I mean, a lot, most of those. I think most of those games were away as well. I mean, we got the two. They were these two away. Uh, was it three last year played in New Zealand, or did we play? I think because we had that draw at Wellington. Yeah, so, yeah. That, that Sydney game escaped my memory. I wonder why. <laughs> um, but again, playing what, a third of his games in New Zealand against New Zealand, like that's a tough ask for any coach. But so I think, I think the cattle's there, but it's just, I, I, I still, I still think they're, they're 18, they're not prime. They're still 18 to 24 months away from seeing what, what they properly developed. They're still, they're not cattle, they're just cars at this stage, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> like, still plenty of promise, but just well, there's, there's still steps that they can take. When does that, when does that turn though? I think I tweeted earlier in the week, just it's like, no more building, no more, you know, we're going to do this. We're, we're this far off the pace that we need wins now. Like it's been 20, you know, 20 plus years of not winning the Bledisloe. It's, you know, we can't keep saying we're, we're rebuilding every, every cycle. It's, we've got to have the structures in place yeah. that the gaps are being filled up all the time, the way the All Blacks do. It's just, there's something missing. I, I think it goes to show this whole, this whole period um, goes to show, I think it really highlights, how asleep at the wheel we were when we were under like check talk about five years or six years of oh sorry four years of just not going anywhere um after that after that 2015 world cup um 
I mean, I think that we are a lot more positive. I do think that we do have the cattle to 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 perform. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that. Th so to bring it back to the original point, we. I'm starting to see, like, you know, the, the green shoots, especially, um, you know, behind the scenes with Rugby Australia and, you know, they're doing some smart moves, you know. The last couple of years, get, get the new television deal, new board, new CEO, things are building. Um, and But we've got to deliver on the field. So this rugby championship, to bring it back to the original question, is is really important to keep the, uh, keep the momentum going. You know, we all expect, you know, to pick up a couple losses at of the All Blacks, but um, you know, besides besides the European tour, you know, these are the perfect time to to get some wins on the board. So I think it's really important that we go well. But I think what yeah. also is different this time as well is oh, and when you look at this group is you you do forget how young all a lot of these guys are. I mean from that I mean, just from the from that twenty three you have Bell who's twenty one. Oh he played in the first game, but you know what I mean. Um, Harry Wilson's only 21, Valentini's 22, uh, Tate's 22, well, Lesio's 21, Ikitao's 22, Paisami 23, Bataille 21. Like, uh, five years ago, or, or even across the last 10 years, I don't think we've had a group of essentially still kids that are in such a high prominent role within the Wallabies at this stage. Now, this mm. that may be because of experience that's left or, you know, people seeing talent in them, but I do think you still have to give these guys sort of time to develop. Yeah, but the question is how long how long do we give them? And look, I think it is, and I think this will need us lead us nicely into question three, um, which, you know, I think there has been concern about you know the, that whether these guys can deliver on the field. Um, there has been a lot of talk about the canning of the jit of the of Gitto's law entirely. And having, uh, which will open up the doors to have the likes of, you know, your Will Skelton's and your Sean McMahon's and your Kirtley Beals and your Liam Gills coming back, or being eligible to play, um, you know, in uh, back in Australia once again. Um, I know that there's, and I think this is, you know, uh, leads us into a good question here because, you know, I think we've all had very kind of mixed perceptions on on Gitto's law. Um, Oh, Nick, I'll throw to you for this one um, in terms of this question. Do you think, the uh, I, I, not, even though I know that Rugby Australia hasn't actually said yes to this, I think there's there's been a lot of misrepresentation about if it, that it's actually happening or if it isn't happening. Um, but do you think if we were to remove Gitto's law entirely, would it solve the problems that we have in terms of depth and actually having players who can believe they can play? Um. Yeah, it's an interesting one. We had the chat last week about who we would bring back. Um, and we're like, oh, not really, couldn't bring back anyone. Um, who would improve on what we've got. But I think it would add pressure to compete. Um, it would affect Super Rugby, but I guess that's sort of a different discussion. But I think, you know, rugby's in this weird spot where I think they really kind of fucked up with the professionalism and the, that move to it. And then those sort of professional, those shoots are sort of fruiting now where all the money's in England and France and Japan and we're stuck here playing a weird provincial system. Like, why does New, like Sydney have one team and not two? Like, that's just stupid. All that sort of stuff's going on. 
And I think, yeah, like they've found themselves in a tough spot and I think it's probably just got to rip the Band-Aid off and see how we go with this Gitto Law. Um, I, I think maybe you could do something like it should be like 20 caps or something or you play, you know, four years for a Super Rugby team or something like that before you get picked. But I think it's good. It also means, you know, Michael Hooper's off the wage bill because he's playing in Japan. Um and it means, you know, instead of paying, what, 500 grand to him, they can pay 100 grand to some kid instead. So I think it will have good impacts like that as well. Um, but for the Wallabies, I think it's really, really, really important that we focus on Wallaby success. Yeah, look. And I think this it, will bring it. You think removing it? Yeah, look, yeah. it's it is an interesting one. And people have made this argument quite a bit that by actually having kind of your most experienced players back together, even if you, you know, necessarily haven't had the cohesion, hopefully it would actually lead to, to success um, because you're picking the best players who are available to you um, at that time. Jack, what do you think? Do you think that there is merit in bringing these boys back or do you think that there is, or do you think an issue of consistency uh, might, which is something that we know the Wallabies already struggle with, um, would exacerbate these problems further? Mm. Yeah, I think I said it, I've said it a few times. Every name that's been tossed up has played for the Wallabies. So it makes no sense that they, just because they're playing in Europe, would make them even better wallabies to come back. They've, it, some of the names have chucked up have even played together at the same time in the wallabies team, and they haven't won the Bledisloe. They haven't um, achieved you know any great success, even when they were. You know, you, you got the likes of Arnold, who I'm pretty sure he was playing in the World Cup, wasn't he? So um, these guys, I don't think, will make um, a huge impact on. The success of the Wallabies. Yes, well, it might build a bit of depth, but um, yeah, it, it's not like we have some Lionel Messi out there who's an absolute superstar that you know can't play for the Wallabies because he's in Europe. You know, they've they've all had their chance and um, they've taken the bucks and and moved on, and we've replaced them with other same same players. You know, um, and I think it'll be the death of Super Rugby, whether we care about that or not. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't see much reward for for it that we're you know losing that that next year of player and, and and if you're a super rugby player right now, what's the incentive of staying if you're if you're um if you're if you can play for the Wallabies and um and get the mega bucks? I've seen a lot of uh you know ex players and ex players really touting the uh the ghetto law but of course they would because you know they can you know play in the south of france for a million bucks and still play for the wallabies but does that help wallabies um you know success and um chemistry i don't know yeah um it is look it is an interesting one it is an interesting one that the fact that there you, you don't necessarily just because you have the 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 opportunity to do it doesn't mean it'll actually work. I think is 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 a tough one. Nathan, uh, Nick right, says we should right. bring it back. Hmm? Yeah. Sorry, I just want to bring up another point as well. It's like, say we do bring it in, and the likes of Will Skelton and Roy Arnold and these guys become eligible. Are are those clubs even going to release them anyway? Yes, we got the international window, but 
outside of that, are they going to choose to come back play for the Wallabies? Are they going to, you know, are, are the French clubs going to make them sign contracts like they do with the Pacific Islanders saying, uh, discourage you from playing national duties? You know, it's all that, this that's stuff. Yeah, just just because we introduced the law doesn't mean it'll, you know, yeah, you know, I reckon it could automatically really have access to 30 different players. If they could get, if they could, you know, convince the French Federation and the English one as well to restrict the number of foreign signings. But do they have this? Do they have the ability to do that though? That's I don't my question. They don't. Of my knowledge, I think you have to release it for an international window, which which begs begs another question, which I was going to bring up, is. If if you bring or if you say I think if you're going to reduce the ghettos, my opinion is if you're going to reduce it, which I personally think just keep it how it is. It's got to be 15, otherwise you, you don't get Skelton, you don't get McMahon, you don't get Gill. It, it has to be you don't get BPA when he leaves. But the interesting thing that comes up is if you if you lower this law, do these players become less valuable in Europe? Because are you are you then? What? How much value? What I'm trying to say is, how much value do you attest to essentially Australian players, knowing that you have 52 weeks of a year? No, they're not going to go away for international break. They're not going to go sort of end of a season, or say, for us, during say would be away like July to December, and you can have them and you can keep that continuity building throughout. Does that? Does bringing this law in make those players? Sort of, or make those clubs go. I'm not going to throw all my money at this guy. I'm going to throw it at a South African player that I know is going to be available. Or, you know, you look at an English, or you look at those more European players. Yeah, I think it's look. It is a fair argument, and I do think if you there, there are so many different ways you can you can you can you can cut this cake. Um, you know, I, I, me personally, I lie somewhere in the middle on this. I mean. It has having such having rules around removing it has worked for the likes of 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 you know the Springboks, um, they have players who play overseas, then they come back and uh, and can put on the jersey for the box, and it has shown that it has yielded some success and that there is some merit to it, but in terms of super of Super Rugby, I mean you wouldn't say that those franchises have been uh, performing at, at their optimal level um, since joining the the likes of the European competition. Um, it is. It does beg the question as to what sort of impact it has at a you know at a domestic level, and considering right now you know the the issues that our Super Rugby teams face, like that's potentially could be cr a crucial error if you were to suddenly have all of our all of our young guns uh, who are eligible to go for the Wallabies suddenly going overseas, um, which would further impact the depth that we already have here now, which is already a problem. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, talking about the domestic thing, even though it's the thing about in another way, you know, who believes, BPA leaves, whoever, we're now got youngsters or players and we're going here, you can play, make uh, a career as a professional footballer, where before maybe a lot of those players wouldn't have come up because there were no spots or they would have gone to NRL. So there might also be a benefit in that way that um, this sort of frees up more space. And like I said before, probably lowers the payroll a bit or lets them put money in other places like coaching or, or uh, you know, uh, support for the players that wasn't there before. Yeah, there is. That is true. That is true. Um, 
do you worry though that that uh, it might it might stunt or affect players' development though? Like uh, if you were for, if you you know because it will take time for a lot of these players. I mean, you, you need no further example than seeing how the Waratahs performed this year. Um, that with no none of those kind of experienced players, you know, to take them under their wing or whatever, um, it severely impacted their performance on the field. Um, do you think that there might be an issue about that? There might be an issue with that. Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, I think the Waratahs in particular were. They're just a mess at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, potentially. But I think, you know, I think it's probably for the better. Um, and at the end of the day, Wallaby success counts more than mm. domestic success. But anyway, we'll probably talk yeah. about the next question. Yeah, um, because on the topic of, of domestic uh, issues or, or stuff that could eventually, uh, potentially be impacted domestically, um, we are going to go Sydney-centric here for this next question. So for everyone else who is listening, um, we are incredibly sorry about that. Um, but, you know, that's what happens when you have four people from New South Wales uh, who've been locked up for eight weeks um, talking on the pod. Uh, the Shoot Shield has been cancelled, as which is the first time since 1918 uh, that that has happened this year, so there will be no results. But we do have one piece of news, which is that once again, after being kicked out, after being brought back rather, um, in in the last couple of years, a few years ago, the the Penrith Emus have been given the boot once again and have been kicked out of the Shoot Shield competition. Um, I'm gonna throw Nick. I know you kind of uh, you you threw this question out here. Um, and I'm curious to hear what your response was in regards to it first, because it is an interesting one to examine here. And the question was, does per, does Penrith being kicked out have anything to do with the Wallabies sucking um, right now? What are your thoughts on this situation, first of all, in terms of Penrith, but also in terms of the broader context? <laughs> well, the idea is that, you know, Penrith are in Western Sydney. That's where a lot of these... Uh, junior footballers are, um, especially, you know, those from, of Islander background are out that way, um, and they've cut off the Shoot Shield team. I, I, can't, I didn't really see the reasons why, but, you know, second time in four years or whatever. Um, and a lot of people have been saying, oh, look, you know, if you don't have the grassroots and you don't have a good Wallabies team. Um, I mean, this decision is shit. Um, uh, Jeff Parks, my pal, uh, wrote a good article on the Roar about this, um, basically saying that, um, you know, Shoot Shield have got their own agenda, which I'm sure, like, Nathan, you'll have a nice little wang on about. <laughs> um, and that, that that's not about growing youth players or actually growing the grassroots, as they keep on uh, claiming. And Rugby Australia really has no remit to tell... Uh, the Sydney Rugby Union or New South Wales Rugby Union, hey, you know, put Penrith back in. Um, but, I mean, it's a shit decision. Does it have anything to do with the Wallabies? I don't think so. Um, which sort of goes back to what I was saying before, that I really think the focus should still be on the Wallabies um, because grassroots people are going to turn up because they love it. Um, you know, Nick Fitzner, Fitzer, who we've talked to before, Nick, you know, he runs Rouse Hill uh, Renegades, and he'll he'll turn up, you know, 52-0 drubbing by the All Blacks or not. Um, he'll turn up every Saturday to, you know, paint the lines and 
uh, mm-hmm. dress the field and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my good summary of it. Shit, but uh, it, it doesn't impact the Wallabies. Yeah, it's – look, I do think it is it, – it does give an indication as to where the mindset is now, I think. Um, and that is – and it is a point that that has kind of been been raised here. And, Jack, I know you – you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about the um, the uh, in the chat that we've got. Um, I kind of I'm looking at this and going, where's the actual longevity here? What's the end game here um, in terms of of you know Sydney Rugby Union's plan to manage the game in Western Sydney? Is there a plan, or are they uh, and the fact they're focusing? I mean, it is clear that they just want to make sure that they have the best comp possible. Um, what's your thoughts on this whole situation here? Oh, yeah, I've got so many thoughts, you know, on our on our little Sunday walks together, just musing about this sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> it gets awesome. You go you go round and round in circles. But what I would like to know is, yeah, what is Shoot Shield's overall mission? Is it to provide as many people in in uh, in Sydney the opportunity to play rugby? Because they talk about their grassroots, um, so their their mission should be, you know, growing the game everywhere. Um, supporting those that want to grow the game everywhere um, and and seeing you know rugby flourish in all of its all of its areas um, if that's not their go then they can't um, say they're grassroots if they're looking to build you know a national club competition well do it pull the trigger get the funding go go professional yeah um, you can't have uh, both feet in both worlds um, yeah it's a it's a pretty um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? My uh, myopic view of, of of growing rugby. Um, yeah, it, it's disappointing. Uh, in, interesting that uh, the Newcastle team were able to be kept in. Um, mm. So uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but um, yeah, in relation to the Wallabies, um, yeah, it, it's another another source of of, of player development that's um, gone missing. Um, and it's yeah, it's disappointing to see. Yeah, it, look, it, it is interesting, and I think that it, what, I've kind of got into a couple of of online spats with people about this, um, because you know a couple of people have raised to me, well, well Penrith are not performing; they are, you know, yeah. in t- for all intensive purposes. While it is valuable <laughs> having you know a, a team from Western Sydney represented, and yeah. yes, they did grab their first their first win in God knows how long um, earlier this year, and that is nothing to be to be sniffed at. The yeah. problem is that the rea- that there are not the, the the performances aren't showing, um, and I sorry my 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 point with that is like um doesn't matter if Penrith aren't performing, you know if they're finishing last, uh in a Sydney suburban rugby competition, um what does it matter? It's it it's to have that presence there. I think if if, if you know uh, Sydney Rugby Union are serious about growing rugby in different areas, yeah, of course they're gonna perennially unperformed un- un- because they haven't got the resources or the thing, but it's about growing the game and having a presence there. So at least they're engaged with rugby. Whereas, you know, if they want to have the best comp in Australia, good on them. Um, yeah. Kick out whoever's, whoever's underperforming, but you know, it's not going to grow the game. Yeah. It, it, but it's like, yeah, it's, it is, it's just so frustrating because like there, I think there are options there to actually help Penrith out. Like whether it be stuff off the field, 
um, you know, like some pathway programs, doing something with Subbies Rugby, um, which I know, you know, Sydney University have, have got a few programs with Subbies Rugby clubs. Um, you know, fi- you know, even down to helping them out as a, as a financial entity, surely there is an actual need or a hunger or a desire as a, as a premier club or now former premier club um, to, to, to try and get Penrith up to that level instead of the, the mentality, which it seems the SRU are taking, which is here is the bar. You have to clear it when, and we're not going to help you out with it. Natho, what are you, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Do you think it's, do you think it's a case of, of, of that it was inevitable that Penrith were going to get cut? Or do you think that, that, this is a very my uh, as kind of as Jack mentions a very myopic way of looking at the whole situation. As sad as it is to say, I think it was coming. I mean, yes, it's nice to have that presence there, but when you consider a lot of the, for the majority of their time over the past the best part of essentially this century, this sort of twenty first century, they haven't been able to fill those required teams, which is. Well, they want they want at least sort of first, second, third, fourth. I think a couple of Colts teams is sort of requirement. A lot of a lot of Penrith have been struggling to get um, that sort of third and fourth grade stuff. But I think it's the shoot shield's an interesting comp, and I think it's a comp that's having spoken to a couple of people around the scenes. I think it's a co- it's a comp that has. I know this is going to sound weird, but it's almost earned that earned its own right of being a being its own comp. I mean, let's face it, it got to a stage where it had zero funding and went, instead of going, well, we're just going to kind of rely on grassroots and hope we survive from there, they they were proactive and went, you know what, we're going to find find some investors, which is what they did, and those investors got the, got the comp to a stage where they can run, I'm, well, I'm not sure if it's, this is true, but I'm very confident that they could be self-sufficient without any funding from New South Wales, from Rugby Australia, and that gives that gives them the freedom to essentially do what they want and essentially run that comp. Now I don't know the situations with the other club competitions as well as I've done, I know the Shoot Shield, but I struggle to see any other comps. I struggle to see like a Brothers or a UQ up in Queensland, Vikings down in Canberra going. You know what? We're just going to sort of sack off any funding that we get from the Brumbies or the Reds, and we're going to go make this renegade club professional competition. I think they're just they're stuck in this limbo point where they can go. You know what? We don't need to take any advice from, as you, as you sort of allude to, from the upper matters of what we want to do, because we're we're essentially going to run this comp to sort of help our help our own out, which is it's tough to see. And I hope that's not the that this is some wild generalizations, and I hope that's not the case. And I hope with they will continue to fund Western Sydney. You know, Western Sydney um, keeping a team. They've just built a new stadium. I know Rugby Australia's committed to continue funding that. I think Andy Marinos made those those thoughts very clear Friday afternoon with the st- statement he released. So I mean, it's it's it was inevitable, unfortunately. But I mean, I, ju- I just hope they continue funding that Western Sydney area and they don't just go t- two years down the track. Well, see you later, Western Sydney, and just keep a very closed off shoot shield. Because I mean, I think if anyone follows the NRL, you can see how well a team like Penrith in the NRL has done. And w- what they do is they, they get those players from the area. You know, if you, if you want to see what, what these players can mean to pe- people in that area, I really recommend you look up videos from State of Origin with um, Brian Toto and Jerome Lue. And you can see that, that these type of players, and when you, when you do it right, have that connection with that area. 
I think that's just we we just missed that with the shoot shield. And I think if they want to want to be serious and say, oh no, we care about Western Sydney, I think it's time you go right. You've 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 got your little win. Penrith's gone. You want to you want a strong comp, fine. But you now you now need to put the effort in as well. If you want to run this comp and you say we we keep a Western Sydney comp, you've now got to put the resources in along with New South Wales rugby and rugby Australia and say let's get this area because there's so many good athletes and so many natural rugby players within that area that I think we we need a target better. Yeah, but I still can't see how that would be beneficial by getting rid of Penrith. I mean, Penrith have been in that area for since 1965. Surely much, it would be more. How much traction ben- are they getting? That's the thing. Yeah, how but much, what what are they doing in terms of realistically? And let's face it, what are they doing in terms? What have they done in terms of getting players? I know it's rough to say because a lot of those players are attracted by the big clubs coming in and basically just poaching out of that area. But I mean, how how long do you give them? How much? How much is, is is it more? Is that presence just kind of just like a oh we're just sort of playing your lip service? Here's your team, but your team's getting smashed ninety points a week. Is is that beneficial to an area? Look, I, yeah, it's look. I get the point. I definitely see that it's not that you know the these results that it's been getting have not been construct have not been constructive or helpful i think it comes down to the fact that a lot that you know the likes of of penrith haven't really had much in the way of any sort of um structural support that they uh, around them like something for example you know they haven't been able to do any sort of uh, of other pathway programs with other clubs in the area like say blue mountains in the kentwell cup um you know I was chatting with you know with Nutter, a Gaga stalwart, who's often talked about the idea of doing some sort of partnership with the likes of Western Sydney University, similar to you know what Sydney Univers- Sydney Uni Rugby Club has. Um, that there surely there has to be some solutions or some options out there. Simply cutting it um, surely can't be the only option, the only realistic solution to this problem. It doesn't really, in my eyes, it just doesn't add anything. It only subtracts because. Um, but look, it's you know that's that's the situation we have in front of us. Um, and as as and and as as much as I as I can say, hey, there this there's this option here and this option here. You know, Penrith have been struggling for many many years, and it, it's a pity that there that there aren't some solutions out there. There aren't some that someone can come to this club and say, uh, uh, you know, here we go. I can I can connect you with some clubs. I can give you some money that you need. Um, get a couple of players who you know have some great potential to to, you know, sh- you know throw some support support behind this club and get them as a competitive outfit because it would do so much good for the actual area of that area of Western Sydney if you had a strong Penrith team. Um, so Twiggy, if you're listening. Uh, if you're listening to this pod, uh, please uh, throw a couple of million dollars behind the Penrith Emus, and I bet you in no time at all, uh, Shoot Shield will come back and say, "Actually, you know, Penrith, you want to rejoin?" Anyway, it's it's a depressing it's a depressing topic. Can, can um, we get you down to Emu Park, Twiggy, for another speech? You're not going to let them go and create your own comp for them, please. That'd be nice. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I know we are aware of time, so I'm going to throw us on to our last question, which is basically getting the chance to talk to talk about any other um, news or other topics of rugby that, that have caught our attention. Um, Jack, I'm going to throw to you for this one. Is there anything that that you uh, that we want to talk about? I, I know you wanted to have a chat about the sevens. Yeah, it was just uh, interesting, you know, in that same interview with uh, Hamish McLennan, and he he uh, you know signaled a review into the uh, the sevens program. 
Um, and, you know, I think especially, you know, a disappointing Olympics campaign followed up by, you know, a bit of a naughty boys playing up on the plane. Um, you know, it's, you know, the, the position of uh, sevens has all of a sudden really become um, up for debate. And I just think, you know, wanted to bring it up because it's an important, you know, pathway to get people into rugby. Um, you know, it's a, it's a perfect little package sport, um, you know, to go from school to, you know, comps to women's rugby um, to, you know, the main stage of Olympics. Uh, so it's, it's a vitally important um, part. And, and the way um, McLennan was sort of talking was he, he was going to bring it more in-house and, and, and tweak it and maybe cut some funding even. There's reports out. Um, so I, I, I just... Uh, that that sits really uncomfortable with me because it's it, it's really important and I think it it, it gets um, funding. There's you know specialized training, um, and I think we we just need to need to be better with it um, and and leverage it a bit more. I, I I've brought up the uh, you know the uh, idea of like aligning uh, sevens players with um, Super Rugby teams, having you know a preseason Super Rugby sevens comp. Um, for preseason, all that sort of stuff, just to you know build our depth and, and scout different players and, and get them involved in the game and, and make that transition into sevens and, and the professional setup. Yeah, it's look, it would be a huge loss if the if we lost the sevens uh, program, um, and especially because I know the likes of of the, you know for example the women's sevens team have probably produced some of the best memories that we've had in from a rugby capacity over the last five or so years. Um, you know their success at the Olympics and their continued sustained success across the sevens campaigns and the Commonwealth Games and the likes of which, and you know the fact that they they did go down and didn't have a strong performance in. Uh, in Tokyo does, you know, suggest that there's a lot of issues out there that need resolving. Um, Nathan, what do you think of the of the potential impact if the Sevens program, if we just simply can't afford it anymore? I, I don't think, like, I, I don't think, it won't get cut altogether. Like, I'm, I mean, that's, that's not coming from any sort of inside knowledge, but I'm, like, confident that, I think the talk totally. would be to sort of reduce the amount of contact of contracted players. But I, I mean, I I back Jack on this. Like you, surely, yeah, yes, we under, underperformed the Olympics. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still so crucial of getting those players. Even I mean, you, you look at even look at someone like Sammy Karevi. Like I know he didn't come through the, the pathways, but does he become available for the World Beast if he plays in the Olympics? Because I mean, he's that's. Let's face it. He'd probably still be in Japan if he if he doesn't play for Australia, isn't back in on Australian shores. When we go, all of a sudden we need a centre. Hunter Paisami's about to leave. So I mean, there's still so many things that the sevens can provide, and I think I think the funding will always be there, and I think they recognise how important the the programs are. I think it's it's more of a matter of just sort of nailing down who are those core players, who's who's on that contracted list. And then essentially building those plans for next year when it comes to the Commonwealth Games and 24 for Paris. I think it's just it's just about nailing that down because, I mean, there's so much uncertainty around the whole tour at this stage. And I know it's supposed to come back this year, but, I mean, we don't even 
don't think we, we've even sort of nailed down what tournaments are supposed to be going ahead at the end of the year. So I think I think it's something to be revised. Uh, something I mean, even on, on that international stage, considering how little athlete or how little athletes you take over and sort of you, you consider we've been in what four events and brought back one gold in terms of our Olympic career. So it's not the worst, not the worst return as it is. <laughs> so like in term and even in terms of representation we bring, I mean, let's face it, I think what we had the most indigenous athletes in the Olympic Games, I think it was sixteen or seventeen, and two were from the from the sevens program out of squads of what? I think we took twenty six over. So it it provides so much value both both sort of in terms of money and in terms of culture what it can bring. I just think it's time you just got to try and just shore up your ends and maybe maybe reduce that contract list. But I mean that's that's a decision for that those guys up 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 high in the sevens programs and sort of trying to figure out what works best for for it heading heading forward. Yeah, it's look. It is a tough one, and, and fingers crossed that they'll be able to find a solution to it, which enables us to to keep to keep those players around because uh, it has been a pleasure watching uh, them and the success that they've had over the years. And and hopefully we can have that again soon. And hopefully this blip of Tokyo will be will will be will kind of soon be a hopefully be a long uh, a long forgotten memory in the future. Well, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Upside is we only have to wait another three years till we get a go again. So. <laughs> I mean, only one year. Come, you come out of um. Those games, yes, there's a whole incident on the plane, but I mean, storm the teacup stuff by the by, by how some people have re- reported on it. But I mean, even, you look at the men's side. What we lost, I think we lost four games and three were to the medalists. Like we're not yeah. that far, we're not that far behind. Yeah. And you still players. There's still players that you could have brought into that squad, which will make a difference in sort of twelve months time. But I mean, but we're not that far off. I think it's still it's still worth that, and it's still worth so much in terms of developing those pathways, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one, and one we'll definitely be keeping a close watch up on. Close watch on. Um, final thoughts, uh, which is the uh, the next game. Fingers crossed if it does go ahead, given the current state of things going on uh, in WA, uh, is supposed to be the uh, the match at Optus Stadium, which is will be the third Bledisloe Cup match. But before then, uh, this weekend we actually have. Uh, the second game between Argentina um, and the Springboks, which is will be taking place in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Um, so uh, first match, South Africa smashed the uh, the Pumas, um, and at the same time successfully trolled all England's for England fans out there by winning thirty two to twelve, the exact same margin they beat England in the twenty nineteen World Cup final. Um, Nick, any thoughts on this one? Do Argentina have any hope of winning this game? Um, I don't think so. Um... Looks like South Africa's brought back all their better players, so yeah, yeah, nah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll again be at a time that's unwatchable. Um, <laughs> it's true. So you might have to catch it. Well, it's Sunday morning. Uh, the wonders of stand sport. Uh, the wonders of, uh, of stand replays. Um, Natho, who do you? What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I, I'm with Nick. I mean. If you you can't beat a team which is missing essentially ten starters from that final game against the Lions, there's, there was they showed nothing that could show they can beat a full strength South Africa team. So, I mean, it's it's tough to say because everyone you love the story behind the pyramids, but th- this should be a South Africa win and should be pretty comfortable at that. Jack, 
Mm. Well, you know my feelings about the Springbok. I'm so <laughs> off on right now. So. <laughs> Lost Pumas. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? We're going for blissful, blissful ignorance once again. Um, I'm heading with my heart <laughs> my head. What's the, what's the worst that can happen? Flashbacks of what four days time come back in night? Yeah, we, we we go for blissfully we go for blissful blissful ignorance and we end with being frustratingly predictable. Um, that's the that's the mindset that we find ourselves in now. Um, but that'll bring us to the end of this of tonight's episode of the dropped kickoff. Um, we'll likely follow up with a with a podcast around uh, the final bledders low. Whether it goes ahead or not, fingers crossed it does, um, and everyone can get uh, get their their ducks sorted in a row um, for this for this particular uh, one because it would be good to get it to finish off this series and hopefully see the All Blacks uh, see the Wallabies you know put in a good solid performance against the All Blacks on home soil. Um, thank you very much, boys. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting to you guys as always. Um, thanks very much. See you soon. See you later. Thank you for having me. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for listening in every single week, and uh, we'll catch you the next time round. But what did go wrong? I have to look look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic, Shirley Bombo. Very interesting. Very good. Yeah, very good. Three cheers for Shirley Bombo. Very good. Very good. <laughs>